while it's clear that the directional incentive is, you know, you can manage your patients as long as you monitor them remotely, you have to have tools in place, you have to invest in some type of technology and infrastructure. Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. We are talking with Brownwin Spira, who is CEO and co-founder of Force Therapeutics, a digital care management platform for MSK conditions. Welcome, uh, Brownwin. Nice to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Susan. Nice to be here. Can you please first tell us about yourself and what you do and about uh, the company? Sure. So I'm Bronwyn Spire. I'm the CEO and founder of Force Therapeutics, which we founded 12 years ago. Um, before founding Force, I worked as a physical therapist for about 20 years, um, including um, a stint running the uh, NYU Rusk Institute, rehab division, um, and then opening and running a number of um, orthopedic and spine outpatient practices in the tri-state area. Um, and so a little bit about force, which was really born out of my own patient challenges with recovery at home. Um, you know, I saw an opportunity to improve their care, improve the communication between patients and their providers. Um, and, you know, it was, um, seemed to me like an opportunity to, uh, impact the digital care landscape, um, and, you know, improve patient outcomes and the overall cost of care. So, um, so we actually sell our digital care management platform to hospitals, ASCs, uh, physician practices all around the country to enable them to better manage their patients' care when they're outside of their purview. Um, and our overall company mission is to improve patient engagement and satisfaction with clinically validated remote care and tools. When did you found the company? 12 years ago, so uh, 2010, we, we uh, founded the company. It seems like um, the timing was great heading into COVID because at-home care became the thing, acute hospital care at home. What kind of at-home care are you involved in? Um, we did see a big uptick in um, the use of our platform during COVID. Uh, and, you know, although we had already built the communication, remote communication and care platform, and we found that during the COVID time, it was um, more, um, it was relied upon more heavily, I should say, by patients and providers. Um, and there was around, a lot of it is communication, educating patients when they're outside of the clinic. And during COVID, patients couldn't shouldn't have gone in to see uh, therapists or their doctors. A lot of times their elective surgeries were canceled or postponed. So being able to have that digital tether to your own care team uh, really helped a lot of patients get through, um, you know, this period where all care had to be remote. Um, and interestingly, there's been a, a real hangover from the pandemic, you know, even still um, now many patients actually prefer the remote option where it's available and providers are also finding 
to be very useful to have a way to digitally connect to their patients in their outside of their purview. Well, I want to explore that, the continuation of this, but I first want to know, are we talking about telehealth connection where patients can call by phone or over the computer, or are we talking about remote monitoring or both? It's a combination. And so I think, you know, when we think about how care should be delivered and received, there's not one modality that works. Um, I think uh, the way we approach care is it has to be omni-channel, so we have to be able to reach patients in multiple ways. Um, it has to be accessible to all. So think about some patients may or may not have um, a computer, but they have a smartphone. Um, it has to reach across education levels, across languages, across um, socioeconomic boundaries, social determinants of health. So I think you can't um, pigeonhole what we do certainly at force as in one or the other. Um, we Our focus is really to bear hug that patient, make sure that they can receive the care they need in the format they can access, and at the same time, make sure that they have that meaningful data connection to their providers. So their providers can then make care decisions based upon what they're seeing from their patients. So it sounds like force is off and running. We've had COVID. We hope to be moving beyond COVID. And now the public health emergency ends on May 11th. Does this affect you and your company? Well, you know, a lot of the um, aspects of the PHE coverage have actually, that impact us anyway, have actually been extended um, through the end of 2024. Um, and that's great news for many of the providers and the patients who have strongly embraced digital and remote care of the pandemic and beyond. And so my belief is that we're going to see a great deal of industry advocacy um, and already I'm seeing some of that today, but I think we're going to see a lot of advocacy to support permanent extension of some of the telehealth uh, legislative and regulatory um, support uh, that was put in place during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we're already seeing some indications that CMS is leaning into remote care, uh, not the least of which with the new uh, RTN uh, monitoring codes that they released at the beginning of 2022, which basically say, you know, we acknowledge that providers are now able to monitor patients remotely. Uh, we acknowledge that that's time uh, taken out of their busy schedules and to the extent in which we can incentivize that behavior, uh, we are presenting these new uh, codes for reimbursement. And so in my mind, that's a real, um, you know, um, support action from CMS to say, remote care is here to stay um, and it will be incentivized and rewarded. And there certainly seems to be bipartisan support to continue this. But I'm wondering if you can clarify, you brought up reimbursement. <clears throat> My understanding is you get two more years for these flexibilities, but that reimbursement at the present rate ends at the end of this year. Is that correct? Certain um, aspects of it do, um, but the Congress has actually extended 
a lot of the telehealth enabling um, portions of that bill to the end of 2024. So it's, you know, a year and a half. It's, you know, and I think they're going to use that time to actually truly evaluate what is the impact of these, um, you know, these um, regulatory um, flexibility um, offerings and see, you know, is it actually impacting overall cost of care? Are patients and providers engaging in that kind of exercise? Is it improving outcomes? Um, and so I think there's a lot that they're going to be looking at over the next year and a half to see whether this should become a permanent um, situation or whether they're actually truly going to end pieces of the telehealth enablement. Um, does this concern you, this question mark over it? Do you feel a year and a half is enough? Or is it full steam ahead? You're you're going forward with things under the present, uh, I don't know, situation, whatever you want to call it, under COVID. Yeah, it concerns me. And I'll tell you why, because it does um, instill this sense of reticence um, to invest in structures right. that, that will support uh, telehealth and some of these codes. So, you know, um, as an example, there are specific stipulations around how you can use and build for remote therapeutic monitoring codes. Um, and while it's clear that the directional incentive is, you know, you can manage your patient's as long as you monitor that remotely, you have to have tools in place. You have to invest in some type of technology and infrastructure. I think the question mark, as you put it, is giving some providers and organizations a level of hesitancy, um, which is a shame because the truth is, you know, there's been a lot of studies and proof points to show that Technology can enable remote care and also improve outcomes. Um, and I think the other big thing that we've seen across the board is that it it adds a level of equity and access to patients, notwithstanding a p pandemic. You know, so many patients have issues around accessing care physically or, um, you know, financially. Uh, and so technology is certainly an answer and to a lot of those access and equity issues. Um, and that certainly became also huge under COVID-19, that whole equity and people seeing the inequities going on. Hmm. Is what you're saying, Bronwyn, that providers will have more confidence once these question marks are, are cleared up to really invest in this type of technology? I think that's right, Susan. I feel that, um, you know, it does require not only a level of investment, but also um, behavioral change and buy-in, you know. So that is almost harder to quantify. But if an organization is going, you know, full, uh, full steam ahead on this kind of a change um, to their organizational workflow. Um, you know, there is an amount of training and behavioral change and workflow adaptation that is all positive, but you don't want to do that and then have to undo it again. 
That's right. And what are the benefits of remote monitoring for both the patients and the quality and finances for providers? So there are multiple um, benefits to patients and providers. Um, certainly on the patient side, the equity piece we spoke about, you know, the, um, the value for patients of being at, able to actively engage in their care regardless of where they are, what time it is, where their provider might be um, through a, an intelligently designed system is immense um, because the amount of time that providers have to spend with patients is shrinking. Yes. And so the amount of information that patients actually need to absorb and digest is swelling. So technology, access to that information, education, um, and kind of prescriptive care really empowers patients to do what they should be doing, when they should be doing it, as prescribed by their treating providers. Um, and, you know, what I found even in my practice was that patients, if they didn't know what they should be doing, then would Google or they'd go on YouTube and they might find something that's not relevant or not correct. Yeah. But I think having this kind of closed loop communication system is really speeds patients to the right behavior, which then leads to the right outcomes. And super, you know, high patient satisfaction with their care um, because they don't feel that they're down in the cold. They have a place to go for questions um, and they know that that is available to them 24-7. And thank you. And any thoughts for the future, especially after the end of the PHE and and uh, a couple of years from now? I mean, I think this is a trend that's going to escalate and uh, accelerate uh, regardless of the pin pandemic. And I think in, uh, you know, we, what we hope is that regulation and legislation won't um, slow down the opportunity that healthcare has to innovate um, and rethink and, uh, you know, kind of reimagine what a care model can and should look like. Um, and it's, we've seen it in other industries and, you know, that the technology is, is here and um, if, um, if healthcare is able to and encouraged to embrace some of this remote care monitoring um, and management, I think that we're going to see a huge reduction in overall cost of care um, as well as improvement in patient outcomes, uh, improvement in access to data and, um, you know, standardization of care plans and really get to a point where healthcare is a little bit more manageable from a cost and delivery perspective. Um, that's obviously the ideal uh, yes. stage. <laughs> and how can CMS turn that down, or Congress for that matter, cost and quality? Brownwin, it's been a pleasure having you on HIMSCast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Susan. It's been a pleasure being here. I appreciate it.